Morning, church. Thank you for being here uh, this morning. It's good to see you all. Um, if you're new, my name is uh, Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here. I'd love to meet you after the service if we haven't met yet. We really do want you to feel like you're part of the family, that you're welcome here. And to bring you up to speed, um, we are one of the things that we do in our church is we, we have a, a preaching schedule with different emphasis throughout the year. And through every sermon, we want to ask and answer three questions. Uh, who is God? How do I become a Christian? How do I grow as a, as a Christian? Every sermon, we want to ask and answer uh, those questions. But depending on the season, we'll emphasize one above the others, but still include the others. In the fall, we look at the Old Testament, and the emphasis is on who is God. And then in the winter-spring, uh, the, the emphasis is on uh, how do I become a, a, a Christian? Like, what's involved with, with being a, a Christian? And with uh, the summer season, we usually look at an epistle, one of the New Testament letters, and the emphasis is on how do I grow as, as a Christian. This morning, we're starting our winter-spring series, and uh, it's actually season three of a season of a series called Following Jesus. And the title is Salt, Light, and Persecution. Sounds fun, right? It actually gets pretty heavy, but we're going to be fine. I think we'll all get through it uh, together. I don't have a handout for you this morning, but uh, the notes are pretty simple, and you can take notes on the very back of your bulletin. There's some space for you uh, to do that. So our series, Following Jesus, is, is based on Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. In season one of our series, we looked at a section of Jesus' sermon called the Beatitudes, where Jesus gives us characteristics of, of a Christian. Um, he doesn't say just make up on your own what it means to be a Christian and what it looks like to be a Christian he shows us. He shows us how Christians will look radically different than the world when they have a relationship with God through belief in Jesus, who Jesus is, and what he's done for us. But now, our text shifts. Jesus shifts the focus. He says, if you have a relationship with God, here's what your relationship with the world will look like. He says, you will be salt, you will be light, and you will be persecuted. And as pastor and author Timothy Keller says, he says, if you are salt and light, you will be hurt. You just will be. So what in the world does it mean to be salt and light? And why does it hurt? And if it does hurt, why in the world would I ever want to be salt and light? Well, we're going to look at salt first. Jesus says we are salt. In verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, different commentators will say different things about salt, like uh, salt being a seasoning or a preservative, and, you know, it it changes from commentator to commentator as far as which one they will emphasize. 
as a seasoning, of course, salt makes their food tastes better. But also in ancient times, salt was much more valuable as a preservative. Without refrigeration, the meat would rot quickly, and so salt was added to stop the decay. As seasoning or a preservative, either way, salt was incorporated to make something better. So what's Jesus teaching us? Well, Jesus knows, and it's not a super deep insight because I think we all know, that for the most part, for the most part, people want to avoid problems, right? We don't want to be dragged down by all the brokenness and, and the negativity that's around us. We don't want to be dragged down by the brokenness of other people, other neighborhoods, other cities, or other countries. And even people who sound compassionate uh, can try to avoid the brokenness by asking other people or insisting other people to do something. Or they, they, they might do something themselves, but try in a way to remain above it all with the Messiah complex. But once things get a little difficult, they tap out. And yet others are, might be attracted to the brokenness, but for the wrong reasons. It's the neediness of others where, where they get their value and they get their identity. It, it's, it is common, it, not in every case, obviously, but it is common that in a marriage when one spouse is an addict and the other one isn't, for the marriage to fall apart when the addict gets clean. The other spouse leaves because they needed to be needed. Or maybe they needed to feel superior and now that's gone. Jesus says that a Christian's response is totally different. Christians do not run away, Jesus says, Christians do not run away from broken people and broken societies. Jesus says Christians find a way to be salt, to stop the decay, to incorporate themselves to make things better. Instead of running away, Christians move in. Not to feel superior or out of a need to be needed. The, the Apostle Paul reminds us that, and this is key to living this way, he reminds us that in Christ all things hold together. Now as Christians, if you're a Christian, you have experienced this, right? Our lives were, were falling apart, but Jesus intervened and he started putting our lives back together and at great cost to himself. And it was all out of sheer grace. And so what that means now is that we don't have to be afraid of our lives falling apart when we try to help someone whose life is falling apart. Because we know that Jesus holds, he is the one that holds our lives together, and that makes us fearless. We know that whatever happens, Jesus is enough. And we're simply responding to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We have received his amazing grace. And now the only way to respond that makes any sense at all is to share that same grace with others. That is the power of the gospel. That is what makes the church different. That is what makes the church a new city with a powerful testimony, because the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the power of God unto salvation.
And let me tell you something. I mean, that sounds awesome, right? But you need to know that some people will hate us for that. We're told that. Some people will hate us, and we're going to unpack that a little bit later. But others, others were told that, that when they see us not running away or retreating or hiding behind the wall, you know, the walls of our little Christian fortress or whatever, if we're not running away from the brokenness, but running in, some people will say, you know what? I may not believe what that church believes, but I'm sure glad they're here. Our neighborhood is better because they seem to actually live out their faith. Some will say that. That is salt. Second, Jesus says, we are light. In verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. In the Bible, light symbolizes truth because, because light exposes falsehood. Light also symbolizes hope and joy because light is brilliant and beautiful. And so when the Bible says that Christians are the light of the world, what it means is that Christians bring hope and joy to the world through truth. For example, society will tell you that there's probably no God, that we are here by accident and for no particular reason, and there's no real way of deciding what's right and wrong. What's wrong for you might not be wrong for somebody else, and you have to suffer the consequences of that. And then after you die, there's nothing but darkness and decay. So have fun. Without the light of salvation, it is a dark world. So what's that mean when Jesus says that Christians are light? We are light because the gospel gives us a hope that the world says that we do not have. The good news of Jesus, known as the gospel, tells us that, that at the end of our life in this world, that when we finally see Jesus, every single one of our deepest longings of our hearts will be fulfilled in him. Fully realized. That's our hope. And our hearts, our hearts will be filled with joy today, knowing that we are saved by grace and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We may have good days, bad days, good years, bad years, but you are guaranteed to be a, a part of that future with Jesus and his family. It's a guarantee. Therefore, Christians will live in light of that in our dark world. And it just takes a little, even the, the, the light he's talking about is powerful, but even the light smallest light breaks through the darkness. Sometimes if I can't sleep, like last night, I'll scroll through Facebook or watch fail army videos of people hurting themselves and try not to laugh too loud. It's totally dark in a room and lights at the lowest setting, but still, the channel say, babe, it's so late. Why are you lighting up the whole neighborhood with your iPhone? Even a small light breaks through the darkness. And in the lowest setting, I could use it as a flashlight to navigate through a dark room. 
when the scripture uses light as a metaphor, we see it as a powerful light, a light that's so powerful and brilliant and beautiful that it reassures us that we will not be lost in the dark. It gives us hope that our souls will be protected from the darkness. It gives us joy knowing that there is so much more than what this world has to offer, and it's found in an unbreakable relationship with God the Father. And that's not even all that Jesus is saying here. The truth and and its powerful light in you not only gives you hope and joy, but this light creates. And what this light creates is a counterculture. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Cities were usually built in, in low areas of land where the, the rivers were, right? Where cities would have access to water and shipping. It was expensive and really difficult to build a city on a hill. But at night, the lamps and the torches of the city could be seen for miles and miles. And everyone would see and know that there's something different and beautiful and special about that city. Therefore, when Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world, He's not just saying that you have the truth and hope that the world can't give you and you are to give it to the world. He is also saying that there should be something radically different and beautiful about us. King Jesus has called us to a counterculture. He tells us that the the way that you are the light of the world is not just by giving people truth, but also how you live in a particular society. And what this new city, I mean, we don't make up what this new city looks like. It's not based on our preferences or what we like or or our hobby horses or whatever. Jesus tells us what it looks like. I mean, that's what the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is all about. He describes it what this new city looked like. Jesus tells us, he gives us a picture of this new city. In the series, we'll see that Jesus talks about money and possessions and that it's radically different than what our culture believes and does with money and possessions. Jesus talks about sex and it's radically different than what our culture believes and does with sex. Jesus goes on to talk about power, and it's radically different than what our culture believes and does with power. The rest of the Sermon on the Mount of this series is going to show us that on its own, talk is cheap. Faith without works is what? It's dead. If the world around us looks at us and doesn't see us living any different than the rest of our culture when it comes to money or sex or power, we are not light. We are not a new city. If we are a new city, how we live will flow from who we are. And so Jesus says, you are salt You are light. And he's called us to live accordingly, to live according to who you already are 
in Christ. And if you are salt, and if you are light, the third thing is, we are persecuted. Again, as, as, as Kelly said earlier in this sermon, Jesus is telling us that if we are salt and light, if we are Christians, we will be persecuted. Look what Jesus says. He says, going, going up a few verses, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely or they lie about you on my account or because of me, your translation might say. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now I'm going to rattle off four or five things about this here. I'll do it as quickly as I can. This is my longest section. The first one is this. The first thing we need to know about this is that this is one of the Beatitudes. In season one of this Following Jesus series, we looked at Jesus' Beatitudes, our characteristics of what Christians look like, and we did not cover this one. This one makes more sense in the context of the scripture about salt and light. But it is a beatitude. And it says, Blessed are you when people insult you and lie about you. It does not say, Blessed are you if people insult you and lie about you. It's going to happen. Jesus says, you know, in the, in the Beatitudes and these characteristics of Christians, he says that, you know what, every Christian will be poor in spirit or you're not a Christian. Every Christian will hunger and thirst for righteousness or you're not a Christian. And now he says that every Christian will be persecuted? You know what this means? It means that Jesus is assuming that if you are a Christian and if you are living in any way that is consistent with Jesus' Christianity, you will be hurt. You will be persecuted. The Apostle Paul tells us this. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Now let me tell you something. This is not just some, you know, practical sermon application here. This is just simply the Christian's reality, right? So it's a beatitude. That's the way it is. Secondly, Jesus says, Blessed are you when you are persecuted because of me. This is the second thing, okay? Blessed are you when, people are, when you are persecuted because of me, not because of you. 1 Peter 4.15, Peter says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, but let none of you suffer as a meddler. That word meddler is a word used to describe someone who is a busybody, someone who is tactless. So Peter and Jesus are saying that if you are a Christian and you're talking about your Christianity, you're talking about your faith, you're talking about your beliefs in a tactless, abrasive way, and people either give you flack or they avoid you, don't say, I am being persecuted for Jesus. No, you're not. You're being persecuted for being a jerk. And whatever it is that you are doing is for, if you just dig a little bit, 
you'll realize it's for your sake. Whatever it is that you're doing and whatever persecution you bring on yourself, you find out you're doing it for your sake, for some reason, not Jesus' sake. Jesus does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted for being a jerk. Therefore, if you are being persecuted for being a jerk, this blessing's not for you. So we need to ask ourselves, am I being a meddler? Am I being a busybody? Busybody? Am I being tactless? Am I picking social media fights because I think it's fun and I know that I'm right? I want to show people how much better I am than they are, whatever. Do I really want to help people or have I somehow made this all about me? Jesus says, blessed are you who are persecuted for my sake, not your sake. And check this out. This is critical. The beginning of our passage says that you're going to be persecuted, right? And the end of our passage says that others will look at your life in Christ and they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So that means some people who are not believers, will hate your guts. And others will be attracted to God by your life. God will use your testimony, the way you live your life, for his glory to persuade them. If, if both of those things are happening, then you're probably in a good, pretty good place. So if you speak the truth without love and using the truth as a club, you will only see persecution, but not attracting anyone to Jesus because you're obscuring the good news of Jesus. If you avoid persecution by not speaking the truth, you might see attraction, but you'll never see someone come to faith because you're obscuring the good news of Jesus. Most people either look for conflict or do their best to avoid it. So let me ask you, and I have to ask myself the same, just like anybody else does. Which, which one are you? Looking for conflict or avoiding conflict? Or like me, sometimes you're one or the other depending on the day. Jesus says that if you're living the Christian life for his sake, some will persecute you and others will be attracted to Jesus by you. Third thing I want to say about this. Jesus says, people persecute because of me. When he says that, here's why. You know, at best in the New Testament and throughout history, people consider Jesus to be a hopeless failure. But you know what? Beyond that, Jesus is hated in ways no other religious leader has been. You know why? Because Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be the Lord of the world. Not only that, the Lord of the universe. Jesus claimed to be the judge of all. And you know what that means if his claims are true? That means that, that your life is not your own and you have to give your entire life over to him. And so our initial reaction is, forget that. Who 
does he think he is? Forget him. That's why so many people have contempt for him, detest him, despise him. And in the New Testament, we always see extreme responses to Jesus. People either hate him and kill him or love him and adore him and follow him. Jesus says in John chapter 15, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, and they did and do, they will also persecute you. There is a unique hatred for Jesus. And if you're following Jesus, if you're close to Jesus, it will fall on you too. Fourth, if you find yourself being insulted and lied about like Jesus says is going to happen, don't whine about it. You know, I checked the, the uh, fruit of the Spirit. And self-pity is not one of them. It's not in there. Jesus says persecution comes with the territory. You're a prophet of my, my good news. Prophets have always gotten this. I mean, the New Testament says that every Christian is a prophet bringing the message of salvation to the world and, and spiritual liberation to people. Every Christian will know what it means to be rejected in spite of all of the, the good deeds and faithful witness. So, you know, like maybe some of you have uh, lived life with an addict in your in your family, and um, you've experienced their rejection of of help, maybe because they think that maybe you're arrogant for trying to help them, and they're in denial about it. And if they are, they can create all kinds of problems, and they do. You've experienced that. But if you love an addict. You know that rejection, that hurt comes with the territory. You're not surprised when it, when it happens. In fact, I think if you're, you're a Christian and you're looking at them through the lens of the gospel, you'll find that you can even identify with them. See, all humans are blinded by sin. Every single one of us needs God. And every single one of us are in denial about it and can't see it until the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to believe it. Up to that point, we think we're fine. Don't need any help. Leave me alone. To one degree or another, and in one form or another, we're all like, we all have similarities with addicts. So no one really wants to be helped. And if you want to help people, you're going to have pushback. And Jesus says, that's just the way it is. The prophets have always been treated like this. So if we're to be Jesus' agents, there's no room for self-pity. And then last in this section, you will need strength and patience. You know, be careful that, that you're not persecuted for your own sake, being a jerk for Jesus or whatever. But after you are careful, realize that this is the way it is. Your reputation will be hurt. 
you will be insulted, people will lie about you, and it will cost you. So now what? Who in the world has strength and patience for that? How are you going to handle that? How are you going to experience the blessedness that Jesus has for you if you are genuinely persecuted or insulted or lied about for his sake? Well, here's the promise in my closing point. You know, we're salt, we're light, we're persecuted, but we are also in Christ. And therefore we are blessed. We're told his scripture, we just saw a, a verse up there that said, his spirit will rest upon you. His character will come into your life and shape you. We can't do this on our own. So how does that happen? Where, where do we get the courage? Where do we get the patience? Where do we get the gentleness? I, I, I want to say this, that I don't know of anybody in this church or anybody in San Diego um, that has experienced persecution like many countless Christians have throughout history and currently in other parts of the world. No one's chasing us down with machetes for our faith, right? I cannot imagine me being uh, from San Diego I guess uh, blessed not to have that kind of persecution. I don't know how I would ever preach this sermon to people who have experienced that kind of persecution. Our persecution isn't to that level, but I don't want to discount the fact that it still can rob you of joy and security uh, when there's persecution in, in other ways. Um, when somebody you care about rejects you or they insult you or they lie about you and ruin uh, your reputation. Okay? We need this in the hardcore, intense, crazy persecution where people, like, if your life is on the line and when we experience rejection. Remember what the... Apostle Paul said to the Philippians and to us, Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He had it all, but then he chose to be rejected. He chose shame and humiliation. The cross was not just painful, it was brutal but it was the most humiliating way to die. It was for those who were disdained by society. It was a dishonorable death. Jesus lost his reputation so that we could be saved through his persecution. He made himself of no reputation. He had all the glory, all of the honor, but then he came down and died the death of a criminal, totally humiliated, so that you and I would not die in humiliation and shame. 
And then he gives us a name that lasts forever, that, that, that we could never create for ourselves. Now, our names are written in the book of life in heaven, and we will live in honor and glory forever because of what Jesus has done. So, if you believe that, if you know that to be true, if your reputation takes a hit, if you get insulted or embarrassed or get your feelings hurt, people lie about you, and if you know what Christ did for you and what he gave you, you can take it. we forget it so easily. We agree to these truths until it's tested. To the extent that we believe this truth, we will be salt, we will be light, and we will be persecuted, but it does not end there. It ends in joy because look what Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. You look to that hope. Know that you have a name that will never perish. You don't need to make a name for yourself. Who cares if someone down here messes up your reputation for a while? Know that you have honor and glory that will never perish so rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven and Jesus is our greatest reward amen would you bow your heads with me heavenly father we thank you that when we rejected you you did not reject us And God, we thank you for sending your son. Thank you for Jesus who gave up all of his glory and honor and was rejected by his people and on the cross rejected by you so that we would not be. God, help us to believe in new ways. that our future is secure in you. That we don't need to make a name for ourselves. God, help us to be overwhelmed in new ways by the grace and the love, the generosity that you've shown to us and God, I pray that our response would be, it only makes sense to share that love and grace to others. God, we pray that you would not only give us humility, but you would also give us courage. Forgive us for the times that we've acted like cowards. Forgive us for the times of being afraid of being labeled as a coward. 
respond to make a name for ourselves, for being courageous and just plow over people for our sake and not yours. God, we pray that you would help us to live in the light of who you are and see that you saved us and changed us so that we might be salt and light. God, give us the courage we need to be persecuted, rejected, insulted, lied about, for your sake. And help us to find peace, knowing that your spirit resides within us, rests on us, comforts us, encourages us by reminding us of who Jesus is and what he's done. We pray these things in your name.